Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. church. I hope you're as excited as I am for Easter and Palm Sunday and everything we have going on. We want to we want to make sure that we're inviting as many people as possible because like as Pastor Ryan said, people will say yes if you invite them. And we have fun stuff going on. Like this egg hunt, I don't know if you've seen it in past years. It's crazy. It's awesome. Uh, but we want to see you guys uh, this Easter. We're excited for that. But this morning, we're jumping into a new collection of talks that I'm so excited about for the next few weeks um, because the conversation revolves around Jesus, and I just love our Savior. He's so good. He's so good to us. And um, this collection of talks is, is, is titled, I've Witnessed It. It's a collection of talks where we're leaning into and focusing on specific miracles that Jesus did in his lifetime. Well, he walked the earth and, and did ministry here. And uh, I just think the, the life of Jesus was so rich. And I'm so excited to, to kick these talks off and start uh, with his first miracle. If you're not aware, the first miracle that Jesus ever did was attending a wedding and turning water into wine. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited to read along with you. And the notes are set up. Uh, for you today, a little bit different on the front. You'll see the entire miracle story on the left, and then there's some blank space for you there on the right. And we have some fill-in-the-blanks. If you're one of the fill-in-the-blank people like me, there's fill-in-the-blanks on the back. Don't worry. Just flip it over and you can breathe. Uh, But just in case uh, the Lord speaks to you in an individual way this morning, I want to leave space off to the side of his word for you to write some notes and receive some revelation that maybe is just for you. And uh, the reason for that is because uh, this, this miracle is located in the book of John, in John's gospel. And John is a little different than the other gospel writers. He's a little more poetic, a little more creative, and he is loaded with symbols, if you're willing to get in there and kind of look and take your time and linger a little bit. And so uh, my effort today is maybe to uh, point out the obvious, the miracle, the water into wine, but also to go a little bit deeper and see if we can't see that Jesus was pointing a little bit more to maybe uh, one level up on the party he was at, uh, maybe pointing to what we're about to celebrate in another four weeks, which is Easter. And so I'm excited about that. Let's jump in and read it together. And as I'm reading, I'll go nice and slow. So if anything pops out to you as symbolism or interesting, you can write it down in the blanks there. John 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day... A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby, stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine 
He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray together that God would open our eyes to what he has for us this morning. Lord, we just pray revelation right now. We pray your Holy Spirit come in and move in a mighty way that you would get us out of the way and our thoughts and opinions would would stand off to the side for a moment and that your spirit would speak to us, that you say that your word, when it goes forth, would never return void. And so we claim that promise today in Jesus' name. And we say, come and have your way. Sharpen us today. Help transform us from the inside out so that we can go out from this place and be a blessing the way you have blessed us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, church, like I said, I'm, I'm so excited to share on this topic. And one of the reasons I, I said is, is because this, this story is so cool on so many levels. And I, I'm excited to share that uh, when I read this for the first time and I felt on my heart that I needed to speak on this water into wine miracle, I, I started to read the story. And if you're like me, about verse four or five there, uh, I just got hung up. I was like, whoa, can't go any further. Let me, let me take a moment and pause. Let me re-read, like, rewind and read that again. Jesus' mom, you know, mom, we love mom, comes to him and says, hey, we have a problem. We're out of wine. And then Jesus' response here is very interesting. And I think that this frames and tees up the whole message for us is that uh, how many of us have been in that position where we're looking at that thing and we don't know what to do. There's a problem that needs fixing. There's a disease that needs curing. There's a relationship that seems broken beyond repair. There's this thing that I'm carrying that feels like a weight around my neck. And I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, we're out of wine. And then he responds in a way that I'm not ready for. And what do I do with that? I I think the interesting thing here for me is I started to ask myself these questions. Why is Mary so invested in this wine? When when I get invited to a wedding, normally I don't know what's going on in the kitchen with the catering, but while the ceremony is happening and all of that stuff. And so I think we need to put ourselves in the context first before we move the conversation forward. Cana in Galilee is, is just a little ways north of Nazareth where Mary lived and Jesus grew up on a rough day, on a rough afternoon. It's maybe a one to two hour walk, depending upon where you're starting in Nazareth and where you're ending up in Cana, just a, just a 15, 20 minute car ride. So this is a relatively close proximity conversation we're talking about. These people probably were interacting with and coming into contact with one another. And then how many of you know, when you're trimming that guest list, when you're getting married, you're like, okay, do I give them a plus one? And Jesus had a plus 12 here at this wedding. So these must have been people that Mary was close with, friends, maybe even family, relatives. And so she knows what's going on behind the scenes because she's invested. And in an honor-shame culture, in in that, that Middle Eastern way of life at that time, this was a big deal. Like, this was a multi-day celebration that my close friends, my family possibly, 
could be having to celebrate this union and rejoice, and we're out of wine. Like, this is a problem. We, we can't start this beautiful new journey of new life, of coming together off on a downer. So you can put yourself in Mary's shoes in that moment. It was the groom's responsibility to provide the wine for the celebration in that culture. And so somehow, someway, Mary is tied to this person, this groom, or his mom, or their family, and saying, well, we've got we've to figure something out. And so what does she do? She runs to her son, and she says, Jesus, we are out of wine. And then Jesus says this, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet arrived. And I think it's in this moment that we have to take a step back and choose not to get offended at how Jesus is responding to us when we bring him a natural problem, when he is in the supernatural, understanding that there's all of these things moving and happening, and I care about that. The, the, my response to you in this moment is not the absence of care, it's the I am all-knowing and all-powerful and everything is working together and I just need you to understand this is bigger than this thing right now. And sometimes we don't like to hear that. But we have to understand this is not our story, it's his story. And so when he says, woman, why do you involve me? As I've done research and looked at a few different scholars that kind of have examined this, in the original Greek, this is actually, uh, many people believe it's an idiom. Uh, and an idiom is a fancy way of saying, like, you said one thing, but it's not that, but it's describing something dramatically. For example, if it was raining crazy outside, I might see it's raining cats and dogs. And so what Jesus is saying here, right, is in, in essence, it's raining cats and dogs. But if we look at it in our lens, we miss that and we say, like, oh, what holy cats and dogs those must have been. Jesus, thank you for, no, he's not talking about that. What he's saying here in this verse is, hey, mom. You and I are looking at the same problem differently right now. You are running to me with just your concern in mind, with this momentary thing, and it might be very serious, and it might be something that concerns you a lot, but I promise you I'm looking at this with a heavenly lens on how this situation can glorify my Father and not how we can control and manipulate and fix it right now. And so what's interesting to me is we see one posture of Mary here, we, we have no wine, what are we going to do? And after she takes a moment and, and she has the conversation with Jesus, what does she say to the servants? Do whatever he tells you. Let me release control. Let me not try to fix it right now. Let me not try to take the place of Jesus in the story and understand it all. Let me just go, God, whatever you want to do. And if you fix it right now, praise God. And if you fix it in a week, praise God. And if you never fix it, praise God. Because you know what needs to happen in this situation, not me. And, and this whole miracle, there's two separate movements. There's this one tone and reading in verses 1 through 5. And then everything shifts when Mary surrenders control. And then there's space for a miracle. And then all of a sudden, dot, 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 nearby stood some jars of water. And everything changes. I think before we move on into the second movement, though, we've got to understand there's three questions that I can ask myself when I need that miracle, when I need that moment, when I need that touch. And it's first, is this God's timing? Not like, is it my time? Like, like you know, the kids sit in the back seat and say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? 
Are we there yet? No, it's just complete and total surrender and control. God, wherever you're taking me on this journey, we'll get there exactly when you want me to get there, and I'm okay with that because I would rather have you in control and not understand and maybe be in a moment of suffering than me try to white-knuckle it and figure it out and manipulate it and crawl myself into a deeper hole than I had in the beginning. Is it your timing? Because I don't want any other timing. Is it your heart? What's my lens on this? Am I looking at this in the natural? Have I taken my, have I taken my opinion and have I put it next to Scripture? Are there any verses that support the way I'm thinking about this, that I'm framing this? Or do I need to take a step back and humble myself and maybe shift my lens and try to look at this with a heavenly perspective? Is this God's heart? Is this what, what he's after? Colossians says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Is it his will? Am I listening to the Holy Spirit? Am I comparing my journey to somebody else's journey? I don't need a miracle at somebody else's wedding. I need the miracle at my wedding, but that's going to be unique in his timing and in his way for me and my circumstance. Let me not compare which event or which thing or what fix is happening here or there. Let me humble myself and listen to God. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's what it says in Philippians 2. This word mindset is really uh, complicated to translate in English. It means like you think it on the inside and that thinking provokes action that's united with God's spirit. Let me not move forward in disobedience. Let me come into alignment with your mind and your will and take the step that you have planned for me next and trust in you. I think it's so fascinating that once we see this shift, that then we sort of take on this sort of attitude of like, okay, we're into the miracle. And, and, and it's awesome, and, I, and I'm going to you know, highlight some stuff for you, but then I want us to see how cool Jesus is, that there's just layer after layer of nuance and meaning to what he's doing. Because when he has that moment with Mary when she surrenders, then he is the compassionate and merciful and graceful God. And he steps in and he meets the need, but he does it in a way that points back to the Father. And so what do we see here? He sees these jars off to the side, and he brings the servants near, and he gives them instructions. He says, I want you to fill these up, and I want you to fill them up to the brim. And then I want you to take some, and I want you to pour it out into this cup and take it to the, the banquet master, the Lord of the banquet. And then after he does that, he, he takes the wine to the banquet, and the banquet master tastes it and says, this is the best wine. What are you guys doing? This is so different from everything that's happened before. Everybody else gives the good wine first and then the bad wine second. We know the trick, but this is, this is choice wine. This is good. And, and I think it's interesting here if we go back to the very first words in the story. It's on the third day, Jesus brings new life into these empty jars meant for cleansing. And as they're poured out, the water becomes wine. And as it's placed in the hands of the Lord of the banquet, the master of the banquet, it's, it's declared good. And not just regular good. There's two Greek, well, there's a few Greek words for good, but there's two main Greek words for good. One is agathos, which means like, oh, that's a good tree, that's a good grape, that's good 
wine. This isn't agathos good. This is kalos good. This is good that inspires more good and inspires an admiration of beautiful things around you. It's that good once it's poured out and placed in the hands of the master. And so what I would point out to you guys today is hopefully what's starting to click in that mind already is what we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks is on the third day, Jesus showed us there was a new way of becoming clean, that he was poured out for us, just like we celebrated on Communion Sunday, and his sacrifice was placed in the hands of the Father. And, 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 and God in that moment recognized what he had at his baptism years earlier, which is, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. This is good. This is going to be the miracle that everyone needs. You see, in the hands of the servants, it meant nothing, but the miracle here is in the pouring out. It was just water in the jar, but the moment it was transferred and poured out and placed in the hands of the king, a miracle took place. And this would be enough, right? But just when you thought there couldn't be more, right? Jesus goes one layer deeper. See, these jars, there's, there's six of them sitting off to the side. These are ceremonial jars used for cleansing, and they're empty. And I think there's a few things that we can point out here. Uh, in, in the Bible, there are some numbers that have some nuance and meaning to them. Seven, in particular, is a big number. And, and most Jews right, reckon back to creation and how there's wholeness and completeness and fullness in the seven days of creation. So when you see the number seven, it means complete. It means full. It means whole. But when you see the number six, that's, that's the day that man was created. It's just close, but not quite seven. It's incomplete. It's not quite whole. And so what we see off to the side are these six empty jars. If they're empty, it means they've been used. You see, if you, if you actually go back to the Old Testament, you look at Numbers 19, when someone had touched death, right? Like, like if, the, if I was going down the road and there was a dead animal there and I had to pull it off to the side so I could get my cart through, I immediately became unclean because I touched death. I needed cleansing. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. We are dead before we experience new life in Christ. And so what we see Jesus do is he says, hey, I want you to put water in these dead things, in these ceremonial jars, these six jars, and I want you to fill it up to the brim. I'm going to pour living water in here. I'm going to redeem what was empty and unclean. I'm going to fill it up, but that's not the end. Then I want you to, to take that, what's been filled up and made new and made clean and restored, and I want you to pour that out. And just as Jesus exemplifies that for us on the cross, so too in this story are we meant to follow his example and be poured out as a blessing to those around us. Paul says it this way. I love this thought in Ephesians 2, chapter 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Oh, it's, been, it's by grace you've been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order in the coming ages that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, through surrender, through submission. Not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. He's poured into you even when you didn't deserve it. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I just love that John kicks off his gospel with this first miracle, and he's so intent on showing us, yes, Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's gonna do some miraculous things, but it's all pointing to this moment on Calvary when he's gonna pour himself off, and he's gonna cover, pour himself out and cover all the sins of mankind. And just as he does that, he's doing as an example to you for you to understand that, that you can come alongside him and have that living water poured inside you and be renewed and restored, but also to be a blessing to those around you. And I love how if we fast forward to the end, as we do in all good movies and books, John says this in chapter 21, the last chapter, in one of the last verses of, of his story, Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. You see, what John is telling us is, is, is hey, it started with the bang, but this was just the beginning. And for some of us today, maybe we need to claim this. Maybe we need to take our, our pen and, and make a big X through was and make it present tense and go is in all caps. Because today, in this moment, living water can flood your heart. You can become alive where there was nothing but death and destruction in Christ Jesus. And this is just the beginning. So I want to make space for that today. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and the relationship with him. Or maybe you have said yes, and you need to revisit that commitment and understand that I, I'm just sitting off to the side, but if I just get near Jesus and listen and surrender, he will come in and he will pour new life where there only seems to be emptiness. And then I can take steps forward to be a blessing. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes and if you've never prayed this prayer, it's not my words, it's not a special prayer, it's your heart posture before God, but I wanna help give you words to speak if you need them. And so if you would, you can, you can pray along with me out loud. Other people will be praying too. It's, it's just a simple prayer. Just say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I let go. I surrender. Come in and fill me with new life. Help me to take steps towards you and to be the blessing to others you've called me to be. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. 
A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.